0: Hello and welcome to this edition of The Screen Podcast, which is the podcast for the global screen business publication Screen International. I'm Matt Mueller, Screens Editor, and this week we speak to Ryan Johnson, the writer-director of Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, the second installment in his Knives Out franchise, which lands on Netflix on December 23rd. The streaming debut comes four weeks after Netflix gave Glass Onion a one-week run in the U.S. and U.K. cinemas. For the first time, that release was supported by some of the largest cinema chains, which previously hadn't played Netflix titles due to the streaming giant's refusal to adhere to theatrical windows. It's too early to tell whether this is a permanent shift in strategy, but Netflix is definitely exploring the benefits of building a bigger profile for its most expensive tentpoles. Anyone who has seen Glass Onion will know that even more than its predecessor, it is a film that looks and plays brilliantly on the big screen. When Screen's America's editor, Jeremy Kay met up with Johnson earlier this month, they discussed why theatrical and streaming joining hands is a smart move for the entire industry, and what it was like to shoot Glass Onion in the middle of a pandemic. Over to you, Jeremy and Ryan. Hello, I'm Screen International's America's editor, Jeremy Kay. and today
1: I'm delighted to be joined by Ryan Johnson, the writer-director behind the fiendishly-plotted Glass Onion a Knives Out <laughs> Mystery film just played uh, a one-week theatrical preview in the United States and will debut on Netflix on December the 23rd. Ryan's credits include Lives Out, uh, Star Wars Episode Eight, uh, The Last Jedi, Looper, and Brick, among others, all of which have been produced um, with uh, Ryan's T Street Productions partner and longtime collaborator, Ram Bergman. Ryan, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And I want to start just by saying congratulations on Glass Onion, which is just tremendous fun. Some people have seen it already. Others are going to get to see it soon on Netflix. I want to talk to you first about the release, because it was reported last week that you commented on that. It was uh, in theatres for a one-week preview, and then it's mm-hmm. uh, it's out of theatres, and it starts on the platform on December 23rd. And you said you were keen to see it back in theatres and see no reason why you can't see it playing at the same time theatrically as on uh, Netflix. Can you just uh, expand on that a little? Well, I'd, I'd, look, I
2: while also wanting it to do as well as possible on Netflix, and and also recognizing that with the reach of Netflix and people watching it at home, that's the way most people are going to see it. I think that's great. I, you know, I, I, uh, a big part of wanting to make these movies was my memories of watching with my family around the TV, uh, "Death on the Nile" and "Evil Under the Sun" and all those great mysteries. So. I think it's great people watching him at home. I also this movie is a hell of a lot of fun to see with a crowd in a theater. And um if people are up for that, I want to give as many opportunities to do that as possible. And I also believe that those two things can go hand in hand and can support each other. I feel like the word of mouth generated from people having that experience in their theater and being excited about a movie and going home and wanting to show their friends and family, I feel like that can translate to even even an even bigger presence on the streamer. So I'm, I'm very keen to kind of see how far we can push it in terms of theatrical and, and, and streaming kind of Joining hands across the aisle and supporting each other.
1: Yes, joining hands, all nice and collegial. And has there been any response yet from Netflix about the idea of getting it back in theaters? Well,
2: well no, and, and but also, it's you know, I don't want to. Do, we, we work, you know, hand in glove with Netflix. They're wonderful partners. They're they've been absolutely terrific. And and with the with the week long release, I mean they. They went quite out of their comfort zone they worked their butts off to make this happen and the fact that we got the release that we did that we were that they worked with the theater change who I'm also really grateful to and and the fact that they promoted it and pushed it um i mean i, I have nothing but gratitude to them for for doing this and i just i just want to push it further i just want even i would just want even more um so uh so yeah they're they're figuring it out and they're you know if, if I think it's got a it's also obviously a complicated thing in terms of not just Netflix, but the theater chains figuring out what we can do and where we can get it. But look, my my basic my basic want is for it to play on as many screens in as many
1: ways as possible. You know, I just want people to see the movie. Yeah, and it's been reported that uh, according to inside estimates, the film grossed some fifteen million dollars in the U.S. in its first week. Um, that's a really considerable amount on that screen count. Um, would you want to push it to, to to longer than a week for the third film when that comes out? I know we're looking ahead here, but it seems like your goal is to get it in theaters as much as possible. I mean, like
2: I just said, man, I, I really, my my goal is to have it be as many screens as long as possible and then in, in as many homes as possible on the service. So, the, the, but the reality is, look, I mean, you know, the the, the third movie, I'm starting to write it you know, or think of it right now, but that probably means it'll be a few years before it comes out who the hell knows what right now who the hell can even claim to project what the business is going to look like in a few years i think the only thing we all know is it's likely to be as different from today as today is from two years in the past so we'll see i mean i it's all going to we're all just kind of running on top of a moving avalanche trying to <laughs> see where this is going to settle
1: yeah. we're all we're all doing our best you know let's talk about the artistry of, of glass i mean how did the first uh, we obviously it's a follow up uh, from from Knives Out, but when you do something like this, which is so intricate, where does it start? Does it start with an image? Does it start with a plot point? How, how did you get into it?
2: Well, for me, I, I kind of at the beginning, I have a cloud of like with this one, I knew because I wanted to feel very different from the first film. I thought, okay, well the setting, it would be fun to do like a evil under the sun, death on the Nile, last of Sheila vacation mystery. So I kind of had the setting and I kind of had, okay, maybe we take a page from last of Sheila and there's like a group of friends and a tech billionaire and this and that. Um, But it didn't really click and start going until I hit upon the structure of the film. And I'm, I'm That's kind of just how I learned how to write is I I write very structurally. And the first 90% of the writing process for me is is working in little notebooks and just figuring out the story, basically. And that starts with the spine of the story, which is um, how the movie is going to be structured. Um, And so for me, there's a very specific structure that we do in this film, um, which uh, I guess I can't go into because that would be telling. But there's a very specific structural gambit we do. And when I hit on that... That kind of gave me the skeleton key into um, the
1: thematics of the film into the journey of the main character into all the stuff that I needed. Yeah and you know, I mean roughly how long were you in the writing of this and how many how many versions did you write, would you say? Um, I, I'd say the whole process was probably about probably about eight
2: or nine months, I would guess, um, which for me is very fast. I think I've I've been that's one thing I've been trying to do as I as I get older is try and write quicker. <laughs> I think I I I was in a space for a long while where I would be taking years to write a script and I'm not sure all of that time was that all that productive. Um and so I've tried to get more efficient at writing and uh and and so yeah but of that time let's say it was 9 months, 8 of those months were spent in those little notebooks and it's only the very very last step where i sit down at the computer and, and actually start typing
1: yeah and you know you've worked for so long as we said at the top with uh your friend and partner ram bergman uh right. and of course uh, uh daniel daniel craig who pays the detective benoit Blanc, is a very important part of this are you bouncing ideas off of these guys quite early on or do you sort of heap it and then do the big reveal and say here it is what do you think?"
2: I, I find that I try and keep it as close to the vest as, as possible because for me, um, if I'm excited about an idea, it's almost like it's, it's a, a compressed steam canister inside of me, like that excitement. And if I release it too early by telling it to someone, especially if... They don't suddenly do backflips when I tell them I can get very depressed <laughs> and feel like, Oh, well, I thought it was good. It can lose the energy. I guess it can let the steam out of the balloon. So um, to mix metaphors. So, yeah, I tend to keep it pretty close to the vest and, and try and get it to a place where I feel like it's working on the page before
1: I really share it. Yeah. Right on. And then if I just want to talk to you about the production um, and, you know, as much as you're happy to share about our location, but, how much did um how much of a disruptor was covid on the process was it was it a difficult shoot because of that
2: well yeah i mean it was the, the big thing that was difficult about it i mean obviously there there's the things that everyone you know everyone who's had to do their job over the past few years knows you 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 just kind of have to figure out ways to adapt to Uh, the the different protocols to keep everyone safe. So there's the masks on set, there's the different regions, all of that. Honestly, the biggest headache of the whole thing, and we were very lucky that nobody, uh, that nobody, you know, got dangerously sick while we were shooting. The biggest headache was for Brahm and the headache was just a constant state of tension that if the wrong actor got a positive test and we had to lose them for a few weeks, we had no recourse and we had no room on the back end to expand the shootout because all these actors are very busy and had other commitments coming off the back end of this. So every day it was a bit of a nail biter, just trying to make sure that everybody stayed in the bubble and everyone stayed safe first and foremost, because we want everyone safe, but also because if anyone got a positive test, we
1: would have been truly and deeply fucked as the kids say. (laughs) And you know, besides the logistics of the production and the intricacy of the story, you've got this extraordinary cast led by Daniel Craig. You've got Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Janelle Monae, uh, mm-hmm. Dave Bautista, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr. We, we could go on. It's an amazing cast. Um, yeah. That must have been. First of all, this is, seems to be. This is such a beloved franchise that you're building here. Were were people throwing themselves at you just to be involved in the movie? <laughs>
2: uh I mean, I definitely all my conversations with actor friends over the past few years <laughs> they the, the, it manages to weave its way around to <laughs> the, the the next movie I mean, it's something that I think a lot of actors it's very appealing just because it uh, uh because it is a true ensemble I think because we we get we, we do we have been lucky enough to get incredibly high caliber actors and I think the word has kind of spread that our sets are a party and that we have a good time making these movies and that you're gonna to get to play with uh you're gonna get to play with some with some you know with, with the stone cold wrecking crew on on these shoots uh as an ensemble which is a really joyous thing for actors that having been said I mean all the same I think the perception that the world is our oyster in terms of we can pick any actor we want um uh we still have all the all the things of casting largely and and actors are so busy these days there's so much work out there and uh, we are asking people to kind of take a huge chunk out of the middle of the year and come off and make this movie. So it, it the the field does tend to be limited. So I, I I just feel incredibly lucky we were able to get you know
1: that that when I look at the lineup that we got in the movie, I still can't quite believe it. Yeah, and and talking about you know not quite believing it, Ryan. Just take us back a minute to the because this this whole Knives Out franchise is as we've said so beloved starting with with the excitement in toronto when this yeah. uh, it was announced as a project then it premiered in toronto i think in 2019 mm-hmm. um, huge box office release by lionsgate over 300 million around the world then the big announcement this year in march that netflix were paying um i'm sorry more recently in march that netflix were paying some 450 million for two follow-ups then this incredible world premiere in toronto recently which was I mean, Bonkers. I was there. It was, <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> what, what's it been like, this whole ride? It's been incredible, man. It's been a ride.
2: It's been amazing. And, I mean, you know, when we made the first movie, it was it was something that we really... Uh, I made it because it was something I really wanted to make and because I love the genre. But, you know, the genre was had been kind of sitting fallow for a minute, you know, and, and it was something that we there was no indication or guarantee that people would respond to a movie like this that was a bit of a throwback and would want to see like a classic who done it. So um so it, it it was by no means, you know, uh stepping into the ring expecting a knockout. It was, it was, it was uh it felt very much like taking a chance. Um so the response to the first one, I mean, was just uh, so phenomenal. And then we had so much fun making this one. And now to see people kind of embracing it and really being into the notion of um, I guess I the risk with this one felt like uh the fact that it was so different from the first, the fact that we were treating this like I got the Christie treated her books and trying to truly do something different every time. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's a bit of a risk. You're not really leaning on what came before. And the fact that audiences seem to be embracing that and really enjoying that aspect of it. That to me is exciting because it means we can keep going and at least for a while,
1: you know? Yeah, absolutely. But we all hope so. And I should add that Netflix deal was announced in March last year, 2021. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You, you, you've mentioned uh, some, a few influences here already, and you've mentioned some Agatha Christie, have these been books and films and sort of the, the canon of the, the Who Done It? Has this been something you have loved since you were a child? Yeah,
2: yeah. The Agatha Christie. It was kind of the first. Um, it, would, it would spotting kind of like a paperback on my parents' shelf and pulling off like the paperback of Curtain was uh, some of the earliest books that I read as a kid that felt like grown-up books, um, and I've kept reading them throughout my whole life. Even now I'm still, I'm I'm reading uh, Murder at the Vicarage right now. I'm kind of, I'm just constantly kind of going back and um, just because they bring me so much joy, they're like comfort food. But then also as much as the books, my memories of of those movies that they were making when I was a kid, the all-star casts and the glamorous locations of you know uh, murder on the orient express uh, death on the nile evil under the sun those were made a huge impact on me as a kid watching them with my parents again feeling like i was participating in something very adult and also just feeling like this is the most fun and glamorous type of movie that can possibly exist um and so trying
1: to capture some of that in these that that's, that's kind of where it all stems from Yeah, and you've mentioned the word fun a lot, and you said about fun on sets, and that's that's great to hear because you've got a big cast, you know. There's a lot of money involved, and it's extremely intricate, but you manage to keep it fun. I mean, how one might say, how do you do that? Because it might be easy to be (laughs) stressed on something like this.
2: Well, I mean, I think you just try and set the tone on set. I mean, I, I do a lot of work in preparation, and I do a lot of work in terms of knowing. Uh, doing the heavy lifting before i show up on set so that i can really focus on the actors so that i can focus on creating a comfortable environment on set and giving all the actors kind of time and space to feel comfortable and kind of do their thing um feel like that's really my job when i'm on set and so uh, you just try and create a fun comfortable tone the other thing is just in casting it's a bit like uh, putting together a guest list for a dinner party you're just trying to it's not like you can really predict who's going to get along, but you you can respond and say, okay, this feels like a really cool person I'd like to hang out with. And then you get them all together and hope for the best. And we've, we've had lightning strike twice now. Um, Daniel and I both kind of, I remember us kind of hanging out with the whole cast um, on the weekend during the filming of this and looking at each other and just kind of saying, I don't know what we're doing right, but let's
1: not talk about it
2: and <laughs> just hope it keeps happening.
1: Right. And, you know, was it always the idea to expand this universe at the point when you were thinking of, or just written and shot knives out, or was that an idea that came later? When, when was the idea of the franchise? No,
2: when I made the first one, I mean, again, I had no idea whether it would take, but, um, it was very much in my head that if it did, it would be fun to keep making these. Um, but the, the it was always in the context of, um, Uh, In the context of thinking of them like Christie's books, thinking of them as giving the audience an entirely new ride each time and also giving myself a new I I can't imagine it would feel like I was trapped if I was stuck in something where I was just turning the crank on another one I, I need for myself to be challenged and kind of frightened creatively in the right way with each new one i need to genuinely feel like this might not work <laughs> with each new one the instant i feel like i know what i'm doing it, it'll get boring and I'll, I'll stop so um so that means figuring out a new way into each one and a new tone and a new reason for being with each new movie
1: you know yeah absolutely and um I want to just ask you, um I'll come back to Star Wars in a moment, but after you had done Star Wars uh, episode eight, obviously a massive undertaking your films have got bigger and bigger. what maybe were some of the lessons you applied from that working on such a large film to working on knives out and glass onion
2: yeah it's interesting. I mean I mean you you know every single movie you do is is a exponential growth machine. I mean you just learn so much and um in Star Wars, not so much because of the size of the production or the budget, but because of the amount of work that went into it and also the length of it. I was from writing to putting the movie out, Soup to Nuts, it was four years of my life, that movie. And so um, it was an incredible growing experience for me and life experience. Um, I, I don't know, though, that it, what's interesting to is I, I feel like so much of the growth was um, – it had very little to do with the scale of the project or the fact that it was, a, you know, uh, a massive budget movie or something. It, it was, it was working with that group of actors, is working with the technicians up at Pinewood who uh, who were making the sets and the creatures and the designers and all of them. It was, uh, it, but it, it was very much the same intimate storytelling that happens on any scale movie that that's still the essential work of it whether it's in a spaceship or in a in a house (laughs) so uh anyway all to say that i i I don't know that there's anything that you know that i learned from the big star wars ness of it all that i took from it but there's so much that i learned just from making a movie with those people and, and trying to tell a story honestly with that group of folks that
1: that i carried forward you know yeah, absolutely. Um, if I just want to take you back to Brick, which was you know, a wonderful film for people who haven't seen it. You know, it also, you know, a mystery and so much going on. Such a clever movie that premiered in Sundance 2005, I think. That's right, yeah. That was when we first heard of you and also um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, of course, who took the lead in that film. Yeah. Um you know the independent space is so tough it's so difficult making films that that never changes from what i hear and what i know but how do you think the, the the ryan johnson would have felt today in 2022 with this plethora of platforms trying to get a movie like brick made
2: oh god i have no idea i mean my heart goes out to i mean look it's never easy it's always difficult just in a different way but my heart goes out to filmmakers today trying to Trying to get your voice heard. I mean, I feel like there's just, um, you know, the one thing about when we made Brick, it, it was, you know, it it would it, it was a narrower channel to get your stuff out there, but that also meant that there was less noise to cut through. And if you did go to Sundance and, you know, get picked up by one of the independent, you know, distributors, then you were going to be one of a couple movies released and it would work or it wouldn't. And now it just feels so much like the wild, wild West. I mean, the flip side of that today is that there are so many more ways to get your stuff out there, you know, to put it out there in ways that people are going to see it. And I do, I don't know. I mean, the one thing that I kind of, kind of, kind of cling to is that when I talk to young filmmakers is, is just, I still do believe that, that something that's interesting and has a unique voice and is, and is good still will cut through. You know, I, I really genuinely believe that that's a rare coin. That's the rarest coin in this um, in this business and in the world is something that is unique and interesting and good. The advice back then and now is still the same is, which is work on your voice, work on your craft, work on, you know, um work on what you have to say and getting better at saying it. And cause I, cause I, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a confusing, crazy time right now in terms of the market, but everyone still wants to be told a good story. And there's, that's still the limiting factor is uh, the amount of people who can, who can really grab you with something new and unique and, and, and take you on a journey. So um,
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Yes no uh, ramb- rambling path no absolutely and then and and then so I, I think you touched on this at the top Ryan but where are you now with uh, the next uh, Knives Out mystery
2: I'm just starting. I have kind of like a cloud of stuff kind of like you know I know like tonally kind of what I want it to be I have some ideas for the type of location I want and sort of um, but I haven't really Hits the thing that's going to make it take off yet. I'm still kind of fishing. I'm fishing right now. Yeah. <laughs> so Haven't
1: landed the big one quite yet, but fishing, fishing yeah. and fishing and filling out those notepads. Those notebooks. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Yes, <laughs> every single day. And then I have uh, wanted to ask you quickly about Star Wars. It's been uh, a number of years since we heard about you know the trilogy. Um, a lot of us are so interested in that. What's happening with that? Does that have to wait a while until you've done the third *Knives Out*? Yeah, right now,
2: right now, my focus is on is on the next *Benoit Blanc* mystery, and it's going to be my focus for for the, for the foreseeable future. But I love Star Wars, I still have a great relationship with
1: everyone there, and I hope down the line. But you know, we look forward to that. And then, and then, lastly, Ryan, tell me about Ram Bergman, your your producer, who's a great guy. You've worked with him your entire career. What what is it about the, the magic between you two? What does Ram bring you that you need to do your job?
2: I mean, Ram is the reason that I'm still making movies. He's he's guided me through this industry. He's um the huge thing he's taught me is to we've always like we've always bet on ourselves. We've always kept control over kind of the destiny of our movies, even if that meant uh kind of going it alone for a little longer in the process you know um, the exception of star wars i've never sold you know i've, I've I never set a script up somewhere i've always written basically on spec and the script written and having then found somebody who wants to make that movie um so little things like that um the, the biggest thing with ram and i though is is just trust i think you know we over the years We've just learned to really trust that the other has the best interest of the movie at heart. And um, it was always going to be honest with the other person. And and when you find that in a partnership, especially when you find that with somebody who's as good as their job, as Ron is, um, it's a treasure, man. You grab onto that and, and, and try and really hold it.
1: Yeah, and it really speaks for itself in the work. And and I want to ask you one more thing before I let you go. Daniel Craig, who's obviously a partner of yours now in these films, he's, he brings so much fun to the screen. And we've yeah. read that he enjoys it so much. What's it like with him on set when he's, is he, is he a fun guy to be around? When- oh, it's a joy. Yeah, yeah.
2: It, it's an absolute joy. I think maybe a lot of people, maybe because he's so good at playing Bond, people have a perception of him as being very, like, serious or stern. He's 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 a joy man he's so much fun and <laughs> he's such a great collaborator he's so good at what he does and um i mean even talking about the tone on set with the other actors i mean you know i try and set it but everyone also looks to daniel and a big part of why everyone gets along and everyone kind of has a good time and feels comfortable and relaxed is the tone that daniel's setting on set um but he's just he's he's I think you can tell, man, we just have a lot of fun making these movies. And when we stop having fun, we'll stop making them. You know, that's, that's kind of the um, the motivating factor for us is a, a very selfish one of just having a good time with somebody that we enjoy being with, you know.
1: Amen to that. May the fun continue for a long time. Right, Johnson. Thank you. Congratulations on the film. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. Thanks, Jeremy. appreciate it.
0: that brings us to the end of this episode of the screen podcast thank you to jeremy and ryan and thank you very much for listening the screen podcast is available to subscribe to wherever you listen please do rate and review us along the way and keep up with the latest news from the international screen industries at screendaily.com and follow us on twitter at screen daily hope you enjoyed the episode see you next time